Julie Ryan, noted psychic and medical intuitive, is ready to answer your personal questions, even those you never knew you could ask. For more than 25 years, as she developed and refined her intuitive skills, Julie used her knowledge as a successful inventor and businesswoman to help others. Now, she wants to help you to grow, heal, and get the answers you've been longing to hear. Do you have a question for someone who's transitioned? Do you have a medical issue? What about your pet's health or behavior? Perhaps you have a loved one who's close to death and you'd like to know what's happening. Are you on the path to fulfill your life's purpose? No matter where you are in the world, take a journey to the other side and ask Julie Ryan. Hey everybody, welcome to the Ask Julie Ryan show. I'm so delighted you could join us this week. My intention in doing this show is to provide information, insight, and comfort to people all over the world by helping to answer life's unanswerable questions. We have such a treat for you this week because we've got Zoe Greco on. Hey girl, welcome to the show. Thank you so, so much. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, wonderful. Zoe, everybody, is an intuitive, what do you call yourself? Intuitive empath and spiritual coach whose work connects individuals to the divine guidance and unconditional love that awaits them in every moment of universal energy. That is a mouthful. So let's just dive right in. You say you demystify the mystical. What do you mean by that? And how do you accomplish that? That's a great question. Um, I will say I'm also just a huge fan of alliteration. So I love things that sound melodic and kind of sing-songy. But I also love when my melodic words have actual meaning and intention. So to me, to demystify the mystical is to help people understand the universe, to help people understand their spiritual existence inside of their human existence, to make people feel that their connection to the divine is not an impossible feat or something that cannot be attained, but rather to make it more material and to help people understand that their ability to connect to the divine is just as powerful as yours or mine. It's just about awakening and activating that within them and also helping them to understand that the guidance that is provided to them is meant to help them navigate this earthly existence and this earthly experience. So helping to marry the physical and the metaphysical is really what I aim to do because we are spirits having a human experience, but we are also human beings experiencing the spiritual. And I think those two things must be married and merged to live a full life and to know ourselves deeply. Great answer. I Thank you. believe this has been going on since the beginning of time, don't you? All cultures, all civilizations, all religions is what I think that's really been their goal. Absolutely. We're constantly reaching into the ethers, wanting to feel something or sense something or know something. I think it's inherent in all people. And I think for people who negate that or, or dismiss that in their lives, I personally think that comes more from fear of like really feeling the love of the universe rather than an actual belief that maybe it's not true, uh, which I'm sure there's, you know, atheists out there who would be really upset with me, but I would just encourage them to experience where maybe their resistance comes from because you're right. This is an inherent thing in human beings to seek the divine. I agree. 
Wonderful. What's our Marhipsy? That's a great question. Um, and I love that you're asking this question because it gives me an opportunity to take some accountability, which I think is really important. So in 2010, I want to say, um, no, 2011, I was in Thailand traveling and exploring and I stumbled upon a, uh, a yoga festival and there was a woman there who was offering oracle readings with the same oracle decks that I had been using since I was seven years old. And I was in my early 20s at this point. I think I might have been 20. And I was so excited by the idea that someone was living this dream that I think I had never even dared let myself dream, even though reading oracle cards for others was always my favorite thing to do in my young life. I, if I wasn't playing which I wasn't playing. Um, and so this kind of alter ego inside of me was born. And Merhipsi is a portmanteau, meaning a word made of other words that I created. And it means mermaid, hippie, gypsy, Merhipsi. However, the world has become more conscious, which I appreciate and love. And so I love to tell this story because the word gypsy is actually no longer an appropriate term to use. It's deemed as actually a slur for the Romani people, travelers. Um, and so I love to tell the story and say, I no longer include gypsy in that. I just say kind of mermaid hippie. Um, but it is the alter ego of who I am, this very like free spirited version of who I imagined myself to be. And the nickname just stuck. So here we are. My whole brand is built on this made up word. It's interesting what you were saying about gypsies, because one of my best girlfriends is the daughter of a Hungarian count and countess. She was a mm. countess till she married a commoner and then she wow. lost her title. I, I don't understand why. I mean, I understand the thinking behind the primogeniture, but I just think that's wrong. The guys get to keep their titles regardless of who they marry, but the girls, if they marry a commoner, forget it. You're out. You're out in the cold. Absolutely. Anyway, she was born in a castle that was a hundred rooms on 6,000 acres and they had gypsies. Now this was in Hungary, which is now Romania, but the gypsies were the people that worked for her father and ran the estate. You know, they had dairies and cows and, mm -hmm. and a, and a butcher and a baker and a candlestick maker and whatever. Yes on that on their estate and they of course lost everything during after world war ii and during mm -hmm. world war ii when the nazis came in and took over their castle and la 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 anyway yeah. the interesting thing about it is gypsies today i agree have a negative connotation but to them it was just it was like a culture it wasn't Absolutely. Uh, you know it wasn't a negative thing and to the point where her brother died and they took him back and buried his ashes in the family mausoleum. Mm. And the gypsies lined the streets because a lot of them were children and they were on the estate with their parents and their grandparents and they lined the street to welcome the family back from America to mm. bury their, you know, their son. And, and she so said they are the most wonderful people ever and, and wonderful healers wonderful caretakers, wonderful everything, mm -hmm. wonderful family people. And so they kind of got a negative connotation somewhere mm -hmm. along the lines. Where, where do you think that happened and why? 
That's a great question. And I am not a historian. However, my understanding of this is that the term gypsy was actually, so like when people say like, oh, I got gypped, it's actually like, I, like it comes from gypsy. So gypsies, quote unquote, were seen as like, um, um, vagrants and uh, thieves. And so that, that specific name, that specific term, uh, is, frowned upon. Um, and even though there are people who use the term or like self-identify with it, it just doesn't belong to me culturally. Um, it's just not where I hail from. And I really believe in the, the kind of energy of, of do no harm. Like if someone comes to me and they say, this term is harmful, it, it hurts me, it hurts my feelings. To me, that's enough. There's plenty of words in this world. I don't need to take a word and take ownership of it if it doesn't belong to me or if it's causing harm. So um, I just, I sat with that invitation years ago. This happened probably in 2016, 2017. So it's been, you know, plenty of time. Um, but I still like to tell the story because I think we live in a time that is very sensitive and there are people who resonate with that sensitivity and people who don't resonate with that sensitivity. And I'm not here to tell people what belongs to them or doesn't. I just can only speak for myself. And if someone invites me into reflection and I reflect and I find that it's not in resonance or alignment for me, then I'm happy to let it go. Um, but I like to, I like to share the story because I think taking accountability is important when and where we can. So I agree. Kind of well, where that comes I think, from. I think every culture has a spiritual background. And yes. I'd love to hear about that. My second question about the story you were telling is, you were playing with tarot cards when you were seven? How'd oh, that happen? Yeah. So basically since birth, um, people always ask me this question, and you probably get this as well. I always get asked, how long have you been psychic? Um, and I tell people, since the beginning, my entire life actually. And I have sort of a, a unique story in that I was really permitted the space to explore my own spirituality. So in fact, I wasn't actually baptized, even though I come from a big Italian family. Um, I was given, I had a naming ceremony in which someone played acoustic Joan Baez on a guitar and people passed me around in a circle and wished good things while I wore a little infant-sized flower crown. And honestly, I do think that has a lot to do with how I ended up being in this world. Um, but from very early on, I was talking to my mother about my past lives, about choosing her. She took me to psychic fairs. To my father's credit, he's a wonderful, loving father, but was really out of his depth. And he actually, I was recently speaking to him about this. And I said to him, like, sometimes you must think I'm just so out there. And he said, I just assume that you're more evolved than I am. Like, I just assume that what you're saying is coming from a higher wisdom source than I can access. So to his credit, you know, even someone who doesn't understand gave me the space to just find myself and be myself. So from very early on, I was talking to spirits and making little potions and writing little spells. And I was given oracle and angel cards that I used from a very early age. I was receiving readings and healings and meeting all sorts of intuitives very early in life because this was clearly a big part of who I was. And my neither one of my parents could really be that role model that I needed to guide me through what I was experiencing. 
um, because it really is like being dropped from another planet and having no one around that like looks like you or talks like you or thinks like you. And so I just feel so, so much immense gratitude to my parents, but especially my mom, because she saw this little spark in me and said, I don't, I don't totally understand this, but I love it. And I don't want to change it. I just want to help her be who she is. So from very early on pendulums, all of that, that's all I've ever known. Um, and it's interesting that in college, I actually studied uh, gender and Asian culture. And I thought that I would become a journalist. And the universe said, sorry, we thought you already knew your assignment. We thought you already knew what job you were going to have. So um, very early in my 20s, I would say by 22, I started my business. And I've been like, this is the only job I've ever had. And I'm really grateful to say, you know, nearly a decade later, I'm still doing it. And it's going better than I think anyone would have hoped for. I love it. What is your dad a banker and your mom a CPA or something? Do they my father is an attorney in He's New a... York City. Oh, and my mother um, has a background in architecture. Oh my gosh, I love that. Well, little children, all little children know how to do all of this stuff. We all totally. we all come in with the ability until we have parents or grandparents or teachers or even friends say, ah, that's just your imagination. That's not mm. really real. Or little little friends will say, you're just weird. There isn't anybody mm. standing there. And so I get that a lot from moms, which is why I wrote my children's books, because it gives them validation to yeah. continue to evolve and enhance these abilities that we all come in with. And I think that's why it resonates with everybody, whether they believe you know, in a hereafter or not, there's some right. part of this that resonates with them. And I think sometimes that's why they run away from it. Yeah. Because it does resonate and they're saying, yeah, this is freaking me out. I don't want to do anything about this. Well, I think media also contributes really powerfully to that. And I talk about that a lot in my life that I have never seen a positive portrayal ever in any form of media of an intuitive person outside of, you know, maybe Long Island Medium or, you know, what's that guy's name? Tyler something, something, you know, there's like people out there who are respected, but they're also made a spectacle of. And I think this work is neither to be joked or mocked about or to be like a parlor trick, which I think is the only way that we really know how to relate to it. And we also see a lot of media if we're not being mocked, we're, you know, taught to be really fearful of spiritual gifts or spiritual awareness. Like to see a spirit is only ever a bad thing in media. You're never, you know, experiencing something positive. I just think that there are no, there are, there's no guidebook to being intuitive in this world, which is so interesting because it's really the one thing that we all have in common. And yet we're taught to negate and cast aside or to close off and to neglect because either it's to be feared or it's, you know, imaginary. And I just find that really problematic. So I think things like what you do, like your books and also your podcast and all that you do and all that I try to do is about teaching people to access their gifts without fear and to know that there is love to be accessed. There's only goodness to be accessed and to be worked through and um, to allow that goodness to work through us and allow us to do what we're here to do. 
I agree. I've been binge watching with my husband who enjoys it as much as I do. There's a show called The Good Witch and it's on oh. Netflix. It's great. It's feel good. It's like a Hallmark Channel series almost. You know, that. I mean, that's the feel of it. But it's, but it's, we've been so enjoying that. And she, like somebody will be walking in the door or they'll be ready to walk in and she'll say, hi, Zoe. And her back's turned to the door or, or things happen or whatever. And certainly Bewitched, the TV show when I was a kid was my totally. favorite show growing up. I wanted to oh, be yeah. like Samantha Stevens. When I grew up, now I am. I can do all the stuff that she can do. Remote viewing, yeah. you know, talk to people who aren't there, that kind of thing. The other thing too is, I don't know if you're aware of this, Zoe, but in 2016, Pope Francis put out a papal ball, which is kind of mm -hmm. like a newsletter. Are you familiar yes. with that? Yeah. Saying that he wanted his priests and his pastors and his people to welcome psychics and healers because they were doing the work of the Holy Spirit. And that was a game changer for a lot of people who believe that this Huge. stuff's evil. Huge. And my parish, my Catholic parish here in Birmingham, Alabama, and many churches of all denominations and synagogues as well, give a copy of my angelic attendance book to every family that comes in who has a person that they've either lost and they're planning a funeral or if they have somebody at the end of their lives, which I think is a huge step. I mean, Absolutely. everybody's been able to see this stuff. We're surrounded by angels and deceased loved ones and pets, spirits as we're transitioning. And everybody's seen this since the beginning of time. And so it's, it's coming back around full circle. And, yes. and there's research now that corroborates all of it, which is interesting too. So The Good Witch, check that out. You'll enjoy it. I sure it. will. You call yourself a sensitive empath. What's that mean? And tell us more about that. You've already told us that you, you were born that way and have had these abilities. I learned how to do them when I was mm. in my 30s, like mid 30s. Wow. I learned how to be a... Uh, um, psychic medium and medical intuitive. But I believe we all come in with the ability. It's just a matter of developing and enhancing it. So tell us about being a sensitive empath. So I work with people's energy. So in session, I will typically use clairsentience or clair empathy to actually enter into someone's energy field, into their emotional self, into their spiritual self. And it's from there, like I'm inside this whole world in which I can access or see or perceive things about them. And I really believe that being an empath is a very important and potent gift because every time that I connect with someone, even in my personal life, emotionally, I'm sort of collecting emotions and putting them in this kind of lexicon or like this Rolodex of reference. So whenever I'm with a client, I can say, oh, I know this feeling. I know what this is called. And so to me, emotional intelligence and empathy actually go hand in hand. And it is by basically studying emotion, whether that's through my own emotional experiences or through others' emotional experiences, I'm sort of building this reference. And it's really a frequency thing. Like, oh, this I know this frequency, it feels like shame. Or I know this frequency, it feels like abundance. And to be able to access those frequencies inside of people, I'm able to help people sort of disentangle 
what's going on inside of them. So I kind of imagine people have this like yarn ball of just, you know, wrapped and tied and knotted and it's all a mess in there. And my job is to go in and just one little bit at a time, create clarity, create something linear, create something usable and more comfortable. And for my entire life, I felt like this was actually a curse. I was always the most emotional person in a room. I remember being in seventh grade and we we watched the Anne Frank story and I was crying so intensely and heavily. I could not stop and I had to be sent home because I was so affected by what I was watching. And I couldn't understand, I could cry just talking about it. And I couldn't understand being in a whole room of people who weren't as affected and also being essentially criticized for being so heavily affected by effectively genocide. And I really believe that empathy is also the thing that connects us to humanity. And humanity is the thing that will allow us to heal when we are kind and decent and patient and loving and sensitive and soft with one another. That is where we can access healing. If we, if we weren't constantly damaging each other's nervous systems all the time, I think we would have a lot more peace in the entire planet and the entire universe. So to me, being an empath is how I do my work, but it's also an effective way of, of living and being. And now I wear this crybaby badge quite proudly. My license plate says crybaby. Um, I very often get my nails kind of like written out with crybaby. It's like who I am. I love being a crybaby because if I weren't, if I weren't sensitive, it wouldn't allow me to do what I want to do, which is help people heal and connect to the divine, to themselves, to each other, uh, to their purpose. And we have to listen to our emotions. Our emotions are teachers. And I've come to a place now in my own journey where when I have an emotion arise, I'm no longer criticizing it as I've been taught to do by those around me. And I'm also no longer trying to stuff it down or make myself more comfortable by dismissing it. I love to have an emotion come up and sit with it and say, what are you here to tell me? What do you need me to know? Oh, I'm jealous. Ooh, why am I jealous? What am I jealous about? Oh, I'm jealous that this person is doing this. Well, that probably just means that it's something that I resonate with. Jealousy is an indicator. Anger is an indicator. When we're feeling angry, it means that somewhere, somehow a boundary that we had that we didn't even maybe know has been crossed. How can we examine that? How can we tend to it? So empathy is the thing that allows me to do all that I do on my personal level, on a professional level, in my marriage, in my family, uh, in my friendships, in my healing journey. It's just the thing that gets me through. And I feel really grateful to do this work through empathy. Um, I'm sure there's a million other ways to be an intuitive person. Mine is empathy. Interesting. Here's, here's another interesting point. When you said it's like they're all tangled up and it's a ball of yarn. I see that a lot in my medical intuitive and energy healing work. Mm. And I'll see it when a muscle is pulled or there's a sprain or there's a ligament that's been tweaked or something like that. Cause I'm like a human MRI mm -hmm. and it's interesting because there's always an emotional component in place before any kind of medical condition arises. Mm -hmm. So it sometimes can just look like a bunch of tangles and a little girl's hair, long hair. We used to, when I was a kid, we called that a rat's nest. I got a rat's mm -hmm. nest in my head, you know, yes. or in my hair. And it, it's just tangles. 
And so I'll watch a healing where I'll watch the tangle, almost like you have, if you have tangles in your hair and you'll take a comb and very gently start to work through it with mm-hmm. a wide tooth comb. And then I see that happening in the healings. And it's very common for me to see a uh, something that looks like a ball of string or a ball of yarn when there's maybe a sprained ankle or a, yes. or something like that. And, and again, it's those emotions to your point earlier that have caused all of that to happen. And it's mm-hmm. caused a physiological phenomenon in the form of pain or injury. So in healing that we address all of that. So that, that's an interesting correlation there with that. What, what led you at the end of the day to do this work? What, instead of you said you were in school and you just figured out, okay, this is what I need to do. Was there a catalyst that was kind of the springboard for you to, to go to starting a business to do this? Would you say you started a business when you were 22? Yeah, I was either 22 or 24, somewhere in that range. Um, I, well, first of all, I feel really lucky because the main influences in my adult life, um, my, my husband, who at the time was my boyfriend, my friends, we're actually mostly, I would say 95% of us are entrepreneurs. So I feel really supported. And I'm also really passionate about entrepreneurship. And I love being an example of being a spiritual practitioner who experiences abundance as the reciprocity of my gifts. I think many, many, many people would love to step into some sort of spiritual work, but we're taught that it won't be lucrative or we can't support ourselves or that this isn't really the right way to make money. Or that some people will even say, if you're truly spiritual, you wouldn't ask people for money, which I think that just means they've never done this work before because this is emotional labor. This is a very, it's a big job that we're, we volunteered to do. Um, so to me, I feel a lot of responsibility, but also a lot of joy in being able to be an example of making a very beautiful life and living from this work while also remaining in humility around that. Cause I think humility is a key ingredient to being um, intuitive. I think when we lack humility, ego gets in the way and ego is the thing that prevents us from hearing our intuition. Um, but in terms of finding this career, honestly, I feel like one day I woke up and just knew this is what I was supposed to be doing. And I took a lot of time. I really told myself like, oh, well, get a job first or try this first. And so I, I worked first at a healing arts college um, in their curriculum development program. And I was also attending that school because it was the only school I could find where you could actually get certifications or degrees in spiritual work. So I thought, okay, look, that's how I ended up in Phoenix, actually. I was like, well, let me give that a try. And within two years, I left to start my own practice and was asked to come back and teach and help develop the entrepreneurship program. So I feel like from very early on, Spirit just said, hey, these are the doors that are opening. These are the opportunities you need to seize. These are the opportunities you need to create. And it's because I've had some sort of higher calling in being an example to others about how to develop a business. And it's interesting because I don't, in like business coaching, I've been asked to do it a billion times. It's really not the thing I want to do. I love being in the emotional. I love being in like the healing work. I'm not really here to talk about or teach the the business side of things, but I will always 
if someone has a question about it, I will always tell them how I did it, my system, my whatever. Um, But it's not what I'm feeling called to teach at this point in my career. Who knows where we'll end up. Um, But for now, I just feel really grateful to have a wonderful team and a wonderful support system and to also be just fully abundantly supported by this work. It's something that I don't think people thought was possible. uh, And I feel really grateful to have proved them wrong. You're my kind of girl. I founded nine companies in five industries in 30 years. So the entrepreneur thing is is definitely something that I I think it's a DNA thing because we just can't help ourselves. Mm -mm. We entrepreneurs, but most regular people will say, that's just a big risk. What are you doing? Why, why are you doing that? You know, you need to get a job where you feel secure. And I'm thinking, well, people get laid off from their secure jobs all the time. But it, it really does take courage, I think, to go out. And, and then once you've done it a couple of times, then it's easier because, you know, it's going to be a roller coaster ride. But it's, uh, it's definitely not for the faint of heart, but following where we're led. I think, and obviously you've been led to. You say that uh, you believe it's important for people to process grief and experience their emotions. Have you ever heard of Cozy Earth bedding? It's your ultimate luxury escape. Cozy Earth sheets are temperature regulating and incredibly soft, and they even have a 10-year warranty. They're made from organic bamboo and silk, are hypoallergenic, and even antimicrobial. Cozy Earth sheets are so amazing. They've been on Oprah's favorite things list for five years in a row, and I have them on my bed right now. So if you're ready to elevate your sleep, Cozy Earth has a special offer for just for my listeners. Go to CozyEarth.com and use the code AskJulie for a 35% discount. That's C-O-Z-Y Earth.com and use code AskJulie for a 35% discount. Upgrade your sleep with Cozy Earth Bedding. I love them and so will you. Well, this kind of goes back to what you were talking about, about your medical intuitive work. Uh, This is, so I'll backtrack for a moment. I have breast cancer, ovarian cancer, and thyroid cancer on both sides of my family. And so people are very concerned about my hormonal health. And my entire life, I have known with deeply within me that it is not in my experience to experience disease. Like it is not, that's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to experience other trauma and I have, I sure have, but that is not the path that I'm here to walk. And it's because I keep myself emotionally clean. And I do believe that our entire wellness is so deeply tied to our emotional wellness. And I've experienced this myself after doing years of deep, powerful, profound shadow work, being willing to face my heavier emotions. Because again, they're just there to listen. So all I've been doing for years while I was in trauma was taking those emotions and putting them aside and saying, I don't want to feel you. I don't want to deal with you. I don't want to experience you. So of course, they were just there in the waiting room. They were just persisting. They weren't actually leaving. They weren't actually going anywhere until I took each one in and said, what do you need me to hear? What do you need me to know? What do I need to receive from you? 
that I could begin to release that emotion and begin to release that dis-ease out of my energy and out of my being. So to process our emotions, to process our energy, to allow ourselves to feel our feelings is actually the pathway to healing. It's also the pathway to purpose because we cannot experience authenticity. We can't experience purpose without authenticity and we cannot access authenticity without vulnerability. And vulnerability requires emotional grappling. It requires feeling our feelings, experiencing our feelings, communicating our feelings. And all of those create our vibration. So to really be the biggest, best, fullest you that you can be, you have to invite in and embrace your emotional self, your physical self, your spiritual self. They are all necessary pieces of the fullness of who we each are as individuals. So I just found in my life that I didn't want to identify with my pain. I wanted to identify with Zoe, who I came, my higher consciousness chose Zoe in this lifetime to be. And I love her. I love Zoe. I think she's cool. She's fiery. She's feisty. She's Italian. She curses like a sailor. She loves sparkles. Like she's loud. She's so many wonderful things. I love her. And I cannot live the purpose of Zoe And I cannot access what I came here to access in this lifetime and learn and and do and be if I do not choose to be Zoe fully. And being Zoe fully means feeling her feelings and it means embracing her human journey and it means understanding her. And I can only understand that self, that Zoe, through all of those pieces of who she is. So we've got to feel our feelings to be ourselves, to do our healing, um, and also to be able to develop meaningful connections with other people. My, when I met my husband, I was deep in daddy issues. And I don't, I don't ever tell my story because it involves other people who don't want their story to be shared. But I was deep in daddy issues. I love my father. We're on great terms now. But when I met my husband, he was like, you know, those daddy issues, like, you don't have to carry that around. Like, you don't have to make that whole thing your identity. And I was like, what? Excuse me? My trauma doesn't have to be my whole personality. Never heard that one before. And it wasn't until I received this invitation by someone who loves me and accepts me. He accepted me fully in that. He just said, hey, if you want to feel better, you can. Uh, It wasn't until that experience that I was really able to feel love and also give love. So it is through our emotional self and really grappling with and experiencing our emotional self that we can unlock all of our blessings. We talk about this manifestation, right? Like you've got to feel it. You can't just see it. You have to feel it. If you're not a feeler, it's going to be hard for you to step into vibrations. Vibrations of emotion are how we quantum leap. It's how we get from one timeline to the next. It's how we get from A to B. So our emotions are pathways, teachers, they're all things, um, which is why being an empath is my favorite thing. Okay, that's a lot to unpack. Let's. It's a lot to unpack. Can you give me a? It's very thought provoking, though. Give me, please, an example. If you don't want to give us one of yours, give us an example of maybe a client with whom you've worked or are currently working who says, "Okay, I've got this emotion. You identify it, and then you." suggest that they talk to that emotion and say, okay, what's that emotion have to tell you? What are their answers? Is there a range? Are there commonalities? Mm, That's a great question. 
Yes, there are commonalities. I have personally found that people tend to present themselves as emotional archetypes. Uh, and I can just see someone, I'm sure you have a very similar experience. You can see someone and just instantly have a deep knowing of their emotional composition, their family history, their blocks, their obstacles, um, because people fit certain archetypes. And it's not always just off of physical sight, but spiritual sight. What am I seeing spiritually? So yes, there's definitely commonalities. Um, so a good example, I would say, uh, currently I'm working, I have a specific client in mind who is just so precious. I love her. And she is for the first time ever learning about advocating for herself. She has always been a people pleaser. And lately she's becoming really angry and really frustrated. And people don't understand what they're experiencing from her because she has never been authoritative or self-advocating or even complaining ever. So they're kind of like, where is this coming from? And for her, she feels really uncomfortable because there's all this anger that she doesn't she doesn't understand where it's coming from. So of course, yes, like I am an instrument, but I'm just an instrument. So it's really about what spirit says to this individual about their experience. And for her specifically, spirit wanted her to know that this is how she could learn about boundaries. She had never been allowed to learn about boundaries, but by listening to her emotions and saying, when I feel angry when this person does this, that is an indication that there's a boundary there that she has maybe yet to identify, but is being crossed. And sometimes we have to be crossed to understand where our line is. And that's the human experience. Sometimes we get to define our lines and communicate those to others and not have them be crossed. So an example would be feeling anger and tying it back to a lack of boundaries or having a disrespected or or crossed boundary and having to then dive into that a little bit and say, what specifically made me angry? Did that remind me of something that I experienced when I was younger? Did it remind me of something I experienced in a past life? Because we carry that with us as well. Is this something I've absorbed ancestrally? Is this something genetically that's been passed down to me? So be giving, being given the opportunity to untangle that sort of ball of yarn by being curious and asking questions and starting with a feeling. When somebody doesn't have boundaries because of how they were raised, and I, and I think a lot of us, more women than men, yes, always, how do you teach them or how do you guide them to learn how to set boundaries? Do you go back to, all right, it's that gut feeling that you have, or is it an intellectual thing that you pique their mm. interest first? And then you go into the feeling thing. What's what's your technique to help somebody who doesn't have boundaries? And I think a lot of us, especially women, didn't grow up with boundaries. We were yes. just expected to do what we were told to do and to take care of everybody else. And I, I even have friends who still to this day that are my age, they're in their 60s and they'll serve their brothers before they serve anybody else, like at a family dinner. And I'll think, what? But yeah. yeah, those boundaries are there. You know, or lack of boundaries, more like it. Right. It's I, so, first of all, I would say boundaries are extraordinarily subjective because your boundaries and my boundaries may not be the same. And 
it's really important to understand ourselves in order to understand our boundaries. And many times, especially children um, and little girls, so little women, um, are not taught to have boundaries. We have to hug family members we're not comfortable with. We have to eat our food and clear our plates and do all sorts of things that might not actually resonate with our needs or our comfort. So for many people, they're not taught to have boundaries ever. And in order to find those, we have to begin to know ourselves in a way that we've not yet been given permission to do. So my whole goal is whether it's helping someone develop boundaries or whether it's helping someone discover their life purpose or find their soulmate, whatever it is that they come to me for, because it's, as I'm sure as you know, a plethora of things. Um, it's about helping people know themselves through the guidance of spirit in order to do any of that. All righty. Does trauma ever go away? Or do you think we just learn to live with it and or around it? My belief is that trauma is, is not something that we have to live with forever. Um, we can live with the history of what has occurred, but the feeling of being traumatized uh, is not something I think that we have to carry. In fact, um, in my personal journey, I so I started therapy as an adult for the first time really seriously about two years ago. And despite doing this work and guiding other people and supporting them, there was a lot within myself that I was avoiding. And when I finally decided to access these emotions or these traumas, it was like finding that that squatters had been living in my house. So this is my house. And my true self, I had sort of evicted because there were all these dangerous squatters living in my house. And one by one, I began to kick them out. And I would find them and I'd say, you got to go. You got to go. This isn't, you don't belong here. This isn't your house. And what happens is, okay, first we evict the pain, right? The squatters, the pain, the experiences, the, the emotion, we evict it. But then we find out all, we look around and realize all the damage that has been done to our house. So very similar to when a squatter will be in your house, they might rip a door off the hinges or muddy the walls or, you know, do whatever they might write on them. They, they could do all sorts of things to tear your house apart. And it's not until we go through and we take an inventory that we realize just how much we are being controlled by the damage that pain has left behind. I also equate it to a computer. So for instance, I have an operating system and I find that my operating system is operating off of software that I didn't consent to installing. Trauma installed that software in me and it now dictates how I operate. So I don't believe based on my own work um, in my own healing and also what I see clients go through all the time that trauma persists. Um, but instead we, we live with the lessons, the wisdom, the understanding. Um, and I actually experience deep, deep, deep gratitude for the trauma that I've experienced because that is part of what allowed me to become an empathetic person and to recognize that vibration. It's just a vibration I collected. I collected it through my own experience. Just like when I talk to others, I collect their vibration through their experience. And all of those together is what allows me to do the work that I want to do. So to release trauma is very possible, um, but also to be grateful for what it leaves us with is profound. And I think 
To be honest, I don't want to be controversial. I personally do believe that we choose our experiences and we put them in our soul contracts. And there are people all over the world who, if you check my social media, they don't like when I talk about that. The comment section is wild. And they say things like, well, did I choose to be assaulted or did I choose to be abandoned or choose this? And they ask those questions as if those are traumas that maybe I haven't also experienced. So it's an assumption, right? To say, well, how can you say that you, you know, you have a great life. It's like, I made a great life. I chose a great life, but I also chose the difficulty and the trauma because it created who I am and it doesn't define me, but it comprises me. And it is one of the facets in the diamond of Zoe. Uh, and we need all of those spaces to be the fullest version of who we are. So hopefully that answers that question. It does. And what I've heard bazillions of times too, Zoe, is that in the spirit world, there's no right or wrong. There's no good or bad. It's just an experience. Yes. And everything that we experience in this life and in all of our previous lives and in all of our subsequent lives that we're going to experience is all looking at a situation from a different perspective. When I do past life, what I call past life scans, I will see a semblance of a script that will repeat throughout multiple lifetimes. And perhaps in a lifetime, you were the attacker. In another lifetime, you were the parent of, the friend of, the spouse of, the sibling of, the Mm -hmm. whatever of the person who was attacked. Other lifetimes, you were the one who was attacked. Maybe you were the law enforcement officer going after the attacker. All these different things all give us a different perspective on the same basic script. Certainly a bunch of variables come into play with different time, different place, different set of circumstances, but it's always a semblance of the same script is what I experienced. So I, I agree with you on that. How do you feel, and you touched on this a minute ago, how do you feel about the predestined versus the free will conundrum that everybody likes to talk about? And and I think in a lot of instances, we're not supposed to know all these right. answers, but it's certainly fun to conjecture about it and Absolutely. to say, okay, what do you think about all that? And you might experience this as well. As an intuitive, people love to select me to debate. And I don't ever take the bait because I have no interest in debating. Like, I just believe that you can believe what you believe and I can believe what I believe and we'll find out when we get there. And that's that. Like, there's no use fighting over it because there's no way to prove who's right or wrong. And trust me, I love being right. Like, don't get me wrong. I love to be right. But that's not one of the things that I'm going to waste my energy on. But in terms of predestined versus free will, This is so tough because there are things that I believe we have defined for ourselves. There are what I I call them like milestones. Um, Like there's certain things that we must experience in our life, whether that is, you know, certain relationships, certain traumatic events or certain, you know, positive events um, that we must experience. And those I believe will find us inevitably, like they will find us, but it is our free will that allows us to choose the pathway between those events and between those experiences. And this is where I think the idea of timelines 
is actually really, really cool. And I've been really getting into timelines over the last two years. I used to be like, there's only the universe. It's a universe. You know, there's not a multiverse. Like, but I actually really, I'm starting to believe in, I believe in oneness, but I also believe in jumping energetically from timeline to timeline. And I do believe that our choices can take us from one timeline to another. And what I mean by that is pathways. So our choices, we have infinite pathways ahead of us, right? There's infinite possibilities from every moment. And our free will allows us to choose one of those pathways. And it's the winding road, but the road, very similar to like a candy land or a monopoly or something, like it hits those specific things no matter which path you take. So I think it's a little bit of both. And I also believe that... Uh, like you were saying, there is no right or wrong. There just is. And I people really struggle with this. And it's it's hard to be a truth teller. Like I can see that that you are also a truth teller. And it's hard to be a truth teller because people don't like it. They don't want to hear that like maybe, you know, a really, really terrible person that they knew or someone they've studied in history goes to the same place that they do. Um, but in my experience, there is only one where to, one place to go. And when you get there, you have this life review where you review your experiences and you understand and you have this immediate understanding. Uh, and so I think that, you know, I've heard, and you might've experienced this as well, when I, when I interview people who have had near-death experiences, they always talk about feeling every emotion that they've ever made someone else feel or that, you know, reliving their own emotions. And I don't think there's a worse hell than than feeling the the bad things I've made people feel, um, even inadvertently. Um, and that is where we come into clarity, right? That's where we experience truth and neutrality because it is neither good nor bad, actually. It just is. And when we get there, that's when we kind of understand that. But on the earth plane, all we can do is try to be as positive and loving to one another as we can and to ourselves and balance those two things, right? To care for ourselves while equally trying to care for others. And human free will is how we navigate those choices, I think. I agree with everything that you said. And I, I like you, don't debate people about it. Whatever you want to believe is fine with me. I don't feel the need to try and convince you of anything. Yeah. Here's here's what I believe. If it resonates with you, great. If it doesn't, okay, what do you want to talk about? College totally. football, the weather, the holidays, it don't matter, whatever, whatever you want to talk about. And I, I go back to, I don't think we're supposed to know all this stuff. I think we're supposed to have the human experience while we're here and create when we know what we don't want, it helps us create what we do want. Yeah. If, we, if everything was just hunky hunky all the time, well, we wouldn't have any incentive to create things. And that's why we're here is to create a life of joy totally. and then go from there. So all dogs go to heaven, all people go to heaven too. I've heard that a bazillion times from spirit. It sounds like that's more. what you're hearing as well. People say, yeah. yeah, but what about so and so and so and so. The personality stays, but my experience, the personality stays with the body when somebody dies. That's their experience. That's yeah. what they came here to experience from that perspective. It's like playing a role in a movie. Yes. And when you talk to talk to or listen to an interview with some of the most famous actors ever, 
they all say their favorite roles to play are the bad guys because they're so multifaceted and there's so much depth to them that yeah. they, you know, get to explore that. We we had Dr. Raymond Moody on recently on the show, who's a who's a near death experience researcher. What a delight that guy is. And he said that he's a psychologist who worked with the criminally insane. Mm-hmm. And he said, these guys were just, you know, homicidal and just what we would just say, I mean, like the worst and scariest of the scary. And yeah. he said, all of, pretty much all of them without fail are all brilliant and they think they can get away with it. Mm-hmm. And so that is a big part of the equation of, of how they think with yeah. all of that. And I thought that was fascinating. But that's what they're experiencing and exploring. And I, like you, feel like, does it make sense to me from my human brain? No, some of this stuff makes my head want to explode. Yes. But where I go to, Zoe, is, is it feasible? Will I find out when I get to heaven? Absolutely. Is it feasible? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just because I don't believe it to be so doesn't mean it isn't. So exactly. It's just what I believe based on my life experiences. So I agree. I with think that. as human beings, like you were saying, to truly to truly know the answers, we would explode. Like our minds, which we we cannot comprehend. It's not possible for us to truly comprehend even just the enormity of the universe, let alone the energetic laws and principles that govern that, because they are in dissonance with things that we've set up in society. You know, like we operate in a way that is counter to the idea of oneness or wellness or wholeness. Like all things, you know, humans create, we we're starting in the new earth, right? To become a little bit more focused on the whole. Um, but we've been in a, a, a period of human history where we've been focused on the individual. And I really believe that we are working our way towards seeing the totality and the interconnectedness between us. Um, but I don't know if our lifetime that will be fully achieved. I think it's going to take a few more generations to get there. I don't think, but... it'll, I don't think it'll ever be achieved because we need yeah. that contrast to create. And and to exactly. your point about about health and wellness, we, my husband and I went to Columbus, Ohio, where I grew up for Thanksgiving to be with the Ryan clan. And we drive by my alma mater, the Ohio State University, as we're going up. And they have this gigantic medical center. It's just enormous. And they're building this other new building that's massive. And one of my girlfriends works there and we got to have dinner with her and her husband. And she said, they're hiring 800 new physicians just for that new building to be Mm -hmm. able to provide it. But as we were driving by that, I said to my husband, Tim, I said, my goodness, this is such a testament to how sick we are Mm -hmm. as a culture that we need these massive medical centers. And at Ohio State, it's not only on the, let me think, on the east side of the interstate, it's on the west side of the interstate too because they needed more land to build. And I think that's the whole medical machine is let's not heal people, let's keep them sick, and then we can have the hospitals and the medical and the 
drugs and all that. And I've been in that, I was in that industry for 30 years on the supply side. I'm an inventor of surgical devices Mm -hmm. sold throughout the world. So certainly there's a benefit to all of it, but boy, did that strike me when we passed that new massive building going up on the medical campus at Ohio State. And I think there are lots and lots of those, especially in America, certainly in other parts of the world too. But boy, it's it's a third of our GDP here oh, in yeah. America is the medical industry. Oh, which that's is a whole other topic. I yeah. you're you're taking the words right out of my mouth and I could talk to you about that for hours. Yeah. Well give give us a synopsis of what you feel about that. Well I just couldn't agree with you more. I think the system that we've created, I believe is, it's, you know, it's based off capitalism. It's self-serving. It is not actually about healing. It is about perpetuating dis-ease. And I also feel a lot of compassion for medical providers because I really do believe that they are people who entered into that realm of work for the higher good of others. Like they are healers who only really saw one path to being a healer. And I see that a lot, actually. I have tons of clients who are medical providers. I do too. Would love to be doing alternative healing. But at the time that they were told to choose their entire future at the age of 18 years old, which seems crazy to me that we tell teenagers to pick the direction of their lives, uh, they felt like, oh, there's only one pathway to be a healer, which is to go to medical school or to become a nurse or to become whatever. And as much as I love to to criticize the you know the medical machine um, that you know that operates in our country especially, and I think in the United States it's more broken than it is almost anywhere. Um, you know we look at places with universal health care, and my oh my, what a difference! But I also try to remember that there are people inside of that machine that don't work at the insurance companies, or even that do work at the insurance companies, but they're not at the top. They're just the people who are operating inside of a system. Like we really have to teach the people inside the system that they can have more. Um, because it's really the people at the top saying, Oh, well, we can create this and we can do this and you can provide and you can have this. And I really think that it needs to come from the bottom, not the top. Like the change has to come from people choosing a different path for themselves. But first they have to know that it's an option. So it's about creating awareness for the the choices that we have. Um, But again, I really, I love to, when I get frustrated and I get disheartened with what we've created, especially in the United States, I do try to remember the people. Some of my best friends are medical providers and I do trust them. And I know that they have entered into this work because they have heart and because they care and because they love and because they want to help people. And even the environment that they're in doesn't make that easy. So there's a lot of things that I would love to see change, but the people, I really believe that they're good. And I would love to see them have opportunities to be healers in the way that they would like to be, which doesn't mean negating modern medicine. It just means marrying modern medicine with humanitarianism, with sustainability, with thoughtfulness, with cultural consideration, all of those things. And energy medicine and different modalities. Exactly. I agree with you. I have a lot of clients that are medical providers and I have a lot of graduates of my class that are medical providers, physicians and all walks of medicine. And certainly there are a lot of things that they do 
beautifully. And the wellness care is where the work needs to be done. Critical care, absolutely. Emergency care, absolutely. Wellness care, Mm, need a lot, needs needs a lot of tweaking. That's when people mm-hmm. come to me because they've been to a bunch of doctors and have had multiple diagnoses and multiple treatment programs, and they still have the same symptoms. And so, mm-hmm. it back to your point earlier too, Zoe, that everything that we go through, even if it seems horrific at the moment, it leads us on our path. And perhaps somebody that's gone to multiple medical providers and still has the same symptoms. Maybe that's the catalyst to lead them to explore the spiritual side of the equation, and they wouldn't have had that impetus otherwise. Couldn't so, agree more. You know, I think it's all good. It's all part of the. It's all part of life's path that's leading us yeah. to what it is we want to explore and experience. Changing directions a little bit. I know that you are into numerology. What is it, and how can it help us enhance our lives? What a great question. And yes, a a far departure from our conversation. So I became aware of numerology, I would say within the last five or six years. And it is a different sort of formulaic um, model for understanding ourselves. So for instance, the Zodiac is very formulaic. It's very specific and precise. Human design, formulaic, precise. Um, Numerology is in that same vein. It's just a different way of understanding ourselves. So basically by taking the digits of your birth date or assigning numbers to the letters of your name and then doing some simple addition um, of specific pieces of that, you can find and create a chart with a multitude of information about a person. You can compare compatibility between two people you can explore your life path and your purpose here. There are so many ways that we can understand ourselves better, whether it's through numerology, astrology, human design, intuitive work, all of these things. It's just another modality. And I really enjoy numerology because it's very material. And a lot of what I do is very ethereal and and invisible. So sometimes it's fun as a human and as a practitioner to have something physical and tangible and numbers, you know, people love numbers. So even for skeptics to be able to, you know, grab their birth date and tell them a little bit about themselves to the, to a degree that it resonates so profoundly is I also find as a practitioner, a really great way of supporting people in relaxing into the work, because you may experience this as well. You know, people pay hundreds of dollars for a session and still come to session with skepticism or guards up. And I find that having sort of a tangible modality based in numbers can make certain people feel really, really comfortable. Um, But not only that, it's just deeply revealing. It's deeply informative. One of my favorite, favorite things to do and the gift that all my girlfriends get from me every year is I will draw up yearly reports for them, which breaks down day by day what they can expect in the year ahead. And I always like to tell people, numerology is not necessarily predictive. It is more indicative. So it will let you know what is up on the horizon for you on an individual scale, on a collective scale. But you can use that information to navigate your experience, to make choices, to use your free will, to navigate what lies ahead for you with more consciousness, more awareness, um, more compassion, more self-compassion. That just makes it a smoother ride. But I really enjoy 
pulling people's charts because very often you'll find, like for instance, I had a client this morning before our interview actually, who she's an attorney and she was like, I don't, I don't feel satisfied. And it's because looking at her chart, there's tons of fives and she needs spontaneity. She needs, she's really meant to be a multi-passionate person, not just a one dimensional person, um, as many of us actually are. And so for her to just get the validation through the numbers, like, yes, you are designed to love more than one thing and you're designed not to be fulfilled by just one pathway. That was huge for her. You could actually like feel the emotional release and the relief that she experienced just by getting that level of validation. So I love to include it in my work. I do also sell, you know, reports specifically, but every intuitive session I do, I incorporate aura reading and numerology to help people have a very full picture of themselves so that they can walk away with as much self-knowledge as possible um, because that's how we make decisions. All right. And changing directions again, as we're winding down here, a couple more questions. You use sound crystals and other modalities like numerology to help people heal. Does each category target a specific need in your Mm -hmm. client or is it an amalgamation of all of these different modalities to help somebody heal? I believe that the more options that we have, the more spaces within us can be healed and fulfilled. So in some ways, sound and sound healing might be the medicine that someone needs. In other ways, crystals may be just the right medicine for them. Energy work may be just exactly what they're looking for. So earlier in my career, when I was seeing people in person, doing a combination session where I've got them down on the table and I'm doing energy work and I've got crystals on them and then I'm doing some sound healing for them and then I'm doing a reading. You know, that's a very full experience. I now do a lot of remote healing with my work um, where we're just, all those things are basically vibrational medicine. Sound is vibration. Crystals are vibration. You know, energy healing is vibration. So it's just about using these different modalities to adjust someone's vibration to bring them into a more peaceful, healed, whole vibration, more healed frequency. So I believe that they all do the same thing, um, but they may just strike a person in just the right way. I think we all have certain things that we're drawn to, just like there are people who must experience your specific medicine. Like you are the person who is here to deliver that, just like I'm the person that's here to deliver it to my clients. And I really believe that modalities are just different pathways and different tools that you and I put in our tool belt to help people in whatever way that looks like. Spirit working through us and with us to help guide the person to heal themselves because nobody heals anybody else. We all heal ourselves. I agree with you. Last question. Why do we incarnate? That's a big question. Uh, I believe that we incarnate because this is how spirit learns about itself. Um, We are all here allowing spirit to know itself more deeply through our individual experience, which is why human beings, we are very individual. We want to feel special. We want to stand out. We like, we, we like to be like number one. And that is very anti-spirit. Spirit is all about oneness rather than the one, than the individual. And so we're here So spirit may learn about these individual pieces of itself. Uh, And then we go back 
we get a break, we come back and we learn more. And we're here to just experience it. I personally believe we can actually incarnate on different planets as well. The universe is vast. So there are oftentimes, and you may experience this as well, but you may not. I'm not here to tell you what you do. Uh, but I personally, when I do past life readings for people, sometimes I will see them in a non-human form on another planet. And I'll say, whoa, that's a new one to me uh, because the universe is the universe is infinite. So this is something I probably have never even thought of before that my brain can struggle to comprehend. But all I can do is take the image that I'm being shown and and convey it the best way I possibly can. Uh, but I do believe that the purpose of incarnating is so that spirit may know itself more deeply. And it's a privilege to be here doing this recon. I love it. I love being a human. I love being a human. And I will miss food and touch and clothes and all sorts of fun things that make being fast cars, you know, I'm going to miss the things that make humans, human, the human experience, the human experience. Um, but it's all imaginary anyway. So. Well, and time doesn't exist in the spirit world. So it may not even be a nanosecond till you reincarnate. You may exactly. come back as a Formula One driver or something. Exactly. Since you, since you like fast cars. How can people learn more about you and your work? The best way to learn about me would be by visiting merhipsy.com. That's M-E-R-H-I-P-S-Y.com. I'm also on Instagram and TikTok at the underscore merhipsy, but I would just encourage people to be careful. Um, I will never DM you for readings. I am verified on Instagram, but I'm not verified on TikTok. So that's the place where scammers are trying to get in and continue to steal from really just loving, amazing people looking for guidance, which breaks my heart. And of course, you can find me on my podcast, The Mystic Rebel Podcast, where I share real client sessions and interviews with amazing people like yourself. And I'm just dying to have you on the podcast. So I hope we can get that set up. And I can't wait to pick your brain in the way that you have mine. And I just want to say thank you for allowing me to be here and share what is in my heart and my spirit. And I look forward to our paths continuing to cross. Me too. What a fun conversation. All right, everybody. That's it for this week. Sending you lots of love from sweet home, Alabama. Mwah! And from Arizona too, where Zoe is. The two, a, two of the A states, Zoe. We're in A I states. Know. Look at us. us. So, all right, everybody. Have a great week. See you next time. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to follow Julie on Instagram and YouTube at Ask Julie Ryan and like her on Facebook at Ask Julie Ryan. To schedule an appointment or submit a question, please visit AskJulieRyan.com. This show is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be medical, psychological, financial, or legal advice. Please contact a licensed professional. The Ask Julie Ryan Show, Julie Ryan and all parties involved in producing, recording, and distributing it assume no responsibility for listeners' actions based on any information heard on this or any Ask Julie Ryan shows or podcasts.